Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Well, earlier this week, I was reading an article that recommended five books that every pastor should own and regularly use. I think I have three of them. (laughs) That's the way that goes sometimes. But a surprising entry on the list was the parish or church directory. Because you see, part of a pastor's duty is to pray, and especially to pray for the flock. So in fact, we, uh, we do have in our announcements our picture directory. Uh, the pictures are going to be in a couple weeks for that. And so um, please sign up for that because I'm really looking forward to having that particular tool um, in my toolbox when, I, when I'm praying for you all. Well, as we continue in our Trinity Tide trek through the epistle to the Ephesians, we do see that St. Paul understood the idea of a pastor praying for the church in a very personal way. So please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at the 15th verse, Ephesians 1.15. And again, if you don't have your Bible, we do have uh, a few scattered throughout in the pews that I smuggled over from the Fellowship Hall. Uh, so please take a look at that. Ephesians 1.15. St. Paul writes, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. You may have noticed that this passage today begins with a conjunction for this reason, because... So that ties today's passage in with last week's passage. You may recall from last week that we spoke of the family secret of God choosing us or calling us into his family. And the passage last week concluded with talking about our response to God's call, that is, believing in Christ and being sealed with the Holy Spirit as the down payment of God's promises. Well, Paul's prayer of thanksgiving that we're going to be looking at today, uh, that thanksgiving for the Ephesians, that's based on the Ephesians' belief and faith in Christ. It's based on that seal with the Holy Spirit, and it's also based, as we just read, on their love for other Christians, their love for the saints. In Acts 19, we read about Paul's missionary journey to the Ephesians, he found a group of believers who were followers of John the Baptist. How John the Baptist's uh, followers got all the way up into Turkey, that's a good question, but they were there, apparently. And, but these folks, though they had heard kind of that proto-gospel from John, they hadn't yet heard of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the fullness of the gospel. And so St. Paul um, preaches to them the fullness of the truth. He oversees their baptism into Christ. He lays his hands on them in what we now call the, 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 the rite of confirmation. And then he witnesses the power of the Holy Spirit come upon them in various and sundry ways, all of which you can read about in Acts chapter 19. We continue today to witness those same works of the Holy Spirit even today. Sometimes those works are going to be overtly miraculous. Um, our, uh, our, our late treasurer, Ron Dodds, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer three times. I remember that third time, he said, you're not going to make it until Christmas. And that was 15 years before he, everything caught up with him. And it wasn't the cancer that killed him in the end. So sometimes those works are overtly miraculous. Other times, those works are through what we call the ordinary means of grace, 
those things we experience in word and sacrament. A few weeks ago, we witnessed a baptism, that sign of the Holy Spirit working regeneration and conversion. Next week, Bishop Orgy will be here to continue the same kind of work that St. Paul did among the Ephesians as, as the bishop lays his hands upon about, oh, two dozen of y'all who are new members of all saints. And the bishop will pray for that strengthening in the Holy Spirit. If for no other reason, these things should be motivation to remember your fellow parishioners in prayer. Prayer for each other is one way that you, like the Ephesians, can show your love for the saints. A good counterexample to that is what we read about in the Gospel reading today with the, with the Pharisee and the publican. Rather than pray for his neighbor, the publican, the publican basically prays, prays against him. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this guy over here. That is not showing love for the saints. And if you remember the end of what we just read in the Gospel, um, one man goes away justified, and it ain't the publican. Well, yes, yeah, so remembering, remembering your brothers in the saints, or remembering your brothers in your prayers is one way that you can be like the Ephesians and show your love for the saints. Because God uses the prayers of his people to work those miracles, even the miracles that just seem pretty ordinary. And if you don't know what to pray for, Remember that your prayer book has two sections that are full of these little one-off occasional prayers and occasional thanksgivings that really do fit just about every situation in life. We have two sections. One is just after morning and evening prayer, and that's called prayers and thanksgiving. The other one is in the back of the book called, called the family prayers, and they really do serve the same function. The reason why they're separate is some politics of uh, what was going on in the Episcopal Church back in the 1920s that we're not going to get into today, but um, they do work together. And in, in, our, in our altar version, they're actually bound right behind each other because we only have communion, but we also have prayers and thanksgivings because we know those occasional prayers are necessary for the life of the church. So if you don't know what to pray, remember you have that prayer book. The word that we read in Ephesians that's translated as, a, as remembering in our verse, it's different than what Paul often uses for remembering. This is actually two different words in Greek that mean making mention. That is, St. Paul mentioned the Ephesians by name in his prayers, and we should do the same, whether we're using the liturgy or whether we're using our own words. Well, St. Paul's prayers and thanksgivings for the Ephesians don't exist in a vacuum. There are two requests for which he is specifically praying. Uh, so we'll find the first one of these in verse 17 and the beginning of verse 18. So Ephesians 1:17 and the beginning of verse 18. St. Paul prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. One of my favorite doctrines of the church is what we call the doctrine of illumination. Some of y'all have heard this before, but the basic idea is that without the light of the Holy Spirit shining on our souls, we are spiritually blind. We are spiritually stupid. We cannot have true wisdom, revelation, or enlightenment without God's help. You may recall the story from 1 Kings chapter 3 when God promised King Solomon anything, and King Solomon asked God for wisdom so that he would be a good king, he would be a good shepherd for God's people. 
we too need to ask God for wisdom. And then we need to go to the repository of God's wisdom, that is the Holy Scriptures. As a child, my mother used to read to us a psalm, a chapter of the Old Testament, a chapter of the New Testament, and a chapter of Proverbs every single day. Talk about laying a foundation for wisdom. When it comes to practicality, the common evangelical custom of going through the psalms every month, because there's 31 psalms, so you can take one every day, is a, is a, is a real valuable tool for learning wisdom, those, those proverbs of the wise King Solomon. But we do, it, with all these things, we do need prayer as well. If you have friends and family that do not know Christ or are not walking with him, you need to pray for them. St. Monica famously prayed for her son for 30 years before he came to the faith. We now know her son as St. Augustine, who is the most influential theologian in all of the Western Church. And his feast day, by the way, was just last week. And I, and I dare say that some of you here today are part of similar stories, either as those parents who were praying or those kids who needed the prayers. <laughs> Well, St. Paul's prayer for illumination, enlightenment, wisdom, and revelation leads into his next prayer, and that's found in the second half of verse 18. Verse 18, uh, second, second half, 18b. St. Paul prays that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. The enlightenment Paul prays for is the knowledge of the hope that is based in God's calling. Sometimes we call this the assurance of our faith. When scripture speaks of hope, the idea is a lot stronger than the way we use the word hope in ordinary English today. In, in scripture... Hope is based on God's promises, and, and so hope is based on those things, those expectations for which we can be certain, even if we don't yet have the fruit of those yet. God's calling to you into his family brings with it promises of union with Christ, resurrection with him in the last days, and the work of the Holy Spirit changing you into his likeness. German reformer Martin Bucer, who helped Thomas Cranmer write the first book of Common Prayer, he wrote this, We are grateful to God that he has chosen and called us to a certain and not to a doubtful calling. Let us therefore pray for assurance of faith. Let us repair the weakness of the flesh and its hostility toward the word of God. Let us pray against sin, wrath, and sorrow, and let us concentrate on Christ intercession, that means praying for each other, our responsibilities and good works. Not only are we to know the hope of our calling, but Paul also prayed for us to know the riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints. Last week we talked about how St. Paul uses the word saints to refer to all um, all those who have been set apart by God, that is, all Christians, rather than only those who have already received their reward, those who are exemplary folks who have died and are before the Lord in heaven. 
It is important to remember, though, that the calling of all Christians to holiness does come with a reward, a glorious inheritance, as we just read. We often call this glorious inheritance the beatific vision. That is, it's when we will see God, as St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, face to face. We will know him then in his full glory. We will experience his joy and his goodness in all of its perfection. In him, we will be glorified, not because we're so good, but because Christ is good, and we then have his goodness. In our collect for today, for the 11th Sunday after Trinity, we prayed, O God, who declarest thy almighty power chiefly in showing mercy and pity, because we don't have that goodness of our own, right? We need his mercy. We need his pity, just like the publican did. Mercifully grant unto us such a measure of thy grace that we, running in the way of thy commandments, may obtain thy gracious promises and be made partakers of thy heavenly treasure. In other words, Lord, bring us to that glorious inheritance. The beatific vision is the glorious inheritance of all Christians to which we will eventually undoubtedly attain if we are united to Christ. This assurance gives us what we need to fight sin in this life, to live as those who are called to be saints, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Notice in verse 19 that God's power towards us is based on his power in raising Christ from the dead. He wrote, What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead? We know that God's Spirit is working in us in a powerful way because we share in the resurrection of Christ. John Calvin wrote, Paul, is, Paul quite rightly tells us to contemplate God's power in Christ because his power in us is still hidden. In other words, we still struggle with sin. Sometimes we don't look much better than the unbelievers. But by God's grace, we repent we get better, and we're becoming more and more like Christ, knowing that he will indeed perfect us in the end. This is another reason why we need to pray for each other. We are so very weak in our flesh, and we need God's strength to keep our eyes on Christ, who is the pioneer and perfecter of faith, as, the, as we read in the epistle to the Hebrews. Prayer, then, should always lead to worship, to seeing Christ as exalted, there's a reason the bulk of the daily offices has historically been the, recit the, the, the recitation of the Psalms. From the, whether we're talking about those earliest monastic offices in the days of St. Benedict or even earlier, or down to our prayer book today, the Psalter is the bulk of our daily prayer. Because the Psalter is the hymn book of the Bible. It's the hymnal that Christ himself knew by heart. Well, let's, let's continue in verse 22. And God put all things under Christ. I'm sorry, let's try that again. And God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ is the head of the church, and Christ is the gift that God gives to the church. 
We participate in this truth every time we come to Holy Communion, receiving Christ and the bread and wine, assured of God's favor and goodness towards us, assured that we are members incorporated into Christ's mystical body, the church. And since we are members of that same body, our prayers for each other are all the more important. You wouldn't want any part of your own body to be injured or sick. Well, in the same way, we shouldn't want each other to be, or we should want each other to be spiritually healthy and sound. And that is why we pray for each other. And at the same time, when we pray for each other, God drives home the fact that we are indeed members of that same body, the body of Christ. If there's a brother or sister who you're at odds with, pray for him or her and see how God brings you back together. Christ is our king and we are his subjects. There's a reason kings and queens traditionally speak with that royal we. As the monarch, the king always represents all of their subjects. The subjects is an ex- are extensions of the key. When we, when we think of what God did in the incarnation of Christ, this truth becomes truly striking. It becomes amazing. We are united in Christ because he's our king. St. John Chrysostom writes it like this. He, he writes, Oh, how high he has raised the church. For as if he were lifting it by some stage machine, he has led it up to a great height and installed it on that throne. For where the head is, there the body is also. This fullness of the head, he says, is fulfilled through the body. The body consists of all its members. He shows Christ using each member individually, not merely all in common. For if we are not many, one a hand and one a foot, one another member, the body would not be full. Through all members, therefore, his body is made full. Then the head is fulfilled. Then the body becomes perfect when we are all combined and gathered into one. So this is why we have both the command and the privilege to pray for each other, to remember each other, to bring each other, uh, um, uh, make mention of each other in our prayers. As one of us goes, so do the rest of us go. And as Christ goes, so goes his body, the church. We'll conclude today with one of the collects from that prayer and thanksgiving section. This is on page 49 in the prayer book. This is a collect that sums up the grace shown in this duty and in this privilege to pray. We pray, Almighty God, the fountain of all wisdom, who knowest our necessities before we ask and our ignorance in asking, we beseech thee to have compassion on our infirmities and those things which for our unworthiness we dare not, and for our blindness we cannot ask, vouchsafe to give us for the worthiness of thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.